Welcome everyone, welcome to satsang. <clears throat> I always like to begin my programs by quoting uh, my great guru, Baba Muktananda, who said at the beginning of every one of his programs in Hindi, Sabko varasanmane kesat prem sehadik swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And he would say, but that's the essence of spirituality, to welcome another person with love. Spirituality is not very complex, although we make it complicated. It's very simple. It's a simple movement of the inner being, and an opening of it, a movement of love, a movement of, of consciousness. So in that spirit, I welcome you all. And uh, as uh, Manohar said, I... Um, I uh, my, my ongoing program in these satsangs uh, is calling on the teachings of the great beings because <clears throat> when I was back in my life in Chicago, Illinois, I was a university teacher of English literature and um, I was uh, desperately looking for something that would connect me with higher purpose and higher meaning, and nobody I knew knew anything. And then I was, uh, I was invited to a private dinner party where the American yogi Ramdas was the guest of honor. And I sat next to him and I, I uh, what do I call it, picked his brains all evening. The rest of the meal was vegetarian, but <laughs> I picked his brains. And, um, <clears throat> From the conversation we had, uh, I became convinced that there were people on the planet then and now, not just many years ago, who were in touch with the uh, highest teaching, with knowledge of the self. Uh, and I thought, well, that being the case, I'd be a fool not to go find one. And uh, that's exactly what happened. Uh, a few months later, uh, we were on our way to India to, uh, to look for somebody. We had no names and addresses, but uh, circumstance and grace and luck uh, and the, uh, the cosmos eventually got us to the doorstep of Baba Muktananda. And so uh, I like to celebrate these great beings. And I can't say enough that, you know, we talk about so many great things that humanity has achieved and uh, the great jewels of human history and so on. To me, the greatest resource, the greatest jewel, the greatest hero, the greatest celebrity, the greatest pop star, the greatest everything are these great beings, the realizers, the yogis who've attained the self, attained uh, self-realization, uh, who've attained nirvana, they call it in some traditions. And these yogis, uh, are little known, little understood because of the nature of our co uh, contemporary civilization, but they're still the greatest resource, the secret hidden resource of humanity. So I celebrate them uh, in these programs. I had the good fortune to meet a few, uh, and uh, they all attest to the same truth in very different ways. It's one of the extraordinary things is how different the approaches are, some are more solid, some are more vital, and some are even peculiar. 
which shows that even a peculiar can attain God realization. <laughs> but it must become very solid first. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> so tonight, uh, because I heard that Manohar was the MC, I thought around, I thought, who is the most solid saint that I can think of? And I thought of, uh, of uh, Uspensky, but, but um, then, I, then I hit on the right person. That's the young, you'll recognize him in the next show. Sri Aurobindo, or as Davy Ma calls him, Big Brain. <laughs> and uh, Aurobindo is a fascinating uh, person. Uh, he's a, a polymath, we would have said, back in the university. Uh, <clears throat> he uh, was born in Calcutta in 1872, and he died in Pondicherry, South India, in 1950. Uh, <clears throat> and the ashram that he started is still going strong there. Uh, he, his father was a a doctor, let me see, I've got notes on it. His father was a doctor and uh, uh, one of the, um, an Anglophile, like, very much like the English, and he wanted Aurobindo to get an English education. So he sent him to England. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, he studied uh, Greek and Latin, uh, and then he went to Cambridge and he got his bachelor's degree in classics. No one, uh, no one hardly does that anymore. I was reading about the state of the humanities these days. Very sad. Um, but uh, all of them classics even more. That means Greek and Latin. So you read the uh, Greek and Latin classics in the original language. But this is what he did. Um, his father wanted him to get a job in the Indian civil service but when he got back to India, he was aflame with, with the traditions of India, and also he was aflame with the, the revolutionary spirit, Gandhi's uh, revolution of, of Swaraj, of Indian independence. And so he became uh, political, and he got involved with that, and uh, even spent some time in jail because of his uh, subversive activities at the time. And sometime in there, he was introduced to a yogi who taught him to meditate. And Aurobindo was so talented at meditation, the yogi told him to stop his mind. And Aurobindo did it, and for he went into a samadhi for three days, and he was totally transformed by this one thing. Most of us, if somebody tells you to stop the mind, you'll have uh, a lot of problems with that but Aurobindo was able to do it. Um, so then he had this double, this dual thing. He was involved in the Indian independence movement, but at the same time, uh, the spirituality was starting to grow in him. Um, <clears throat> and he had many spiritual experiences. And finally, he went to Pondicherry, and he started... Uh, an ashram there. And after a few years, uh, Mira Richard, a French woman, um, came to, uh, 
to be with him, became his spiritual partner called the mother. And she was his successor and uh, his lifelong partner. And she uh, uh, outlived him by quite a bit. When I was in Ganeshpuri with Baba, she was still alive in her 90s. And people would go down there uh, to get her darshan and so on. <clears throat> anyway, uh, his yoga, let's see what I'll tell you about it. Um, well, I've got a thing about it. He, his basic teaching was that there's one consciousness, which is the ultimate reality, and that one consciousness is hidden here in matter. And uh, by, through the process of evolution, it liberates itself. If that sounds a bit like Kashmir Shaivism, not surprising. Um, he says, life is the first step in the evolution, and then mind is the second step. So first you have life, plant life and so on. Then you have uh, mind and awareness. Uh, but you, but he said, Aurobindo says, there has to be a development beyond mind uh, to the spiritual and the supramental. This is greater levels of awareness and of consciousness. And he says the spirit must become the dominant power. Uh, in our life, you know, we put spirituality into our lives and it has a certain role. It's a, and as you grow in your yoga, it has a greater and greater role. So he says that to, to truly evolve, you have to make it, uh, give it priority, the spiritual life. He says, uh, <clears throat> in man, evolution becomes conscious. He develops conscious will. And the goal is to transcend humanity and become divine. Uh, you first go within and connect with the soul and then later open to the infinite. So that's very much like uh, Atma Vyapti and Shiva Vyapti and Shaivism. First you go inside, you touch the depths of your being, the self, and once you've done that, then you turn outward and you see the divine everywhere. Your vision is transformed and so on. So basically that was his, uh, his thing. And one of the characteristic things he used to say uh, is to, he'd always be talking about bringing down the supermind. And he sat in his room for many years bringing down the supermind. And he wanted to bring down higher consciousness, but he wanted to bring it into this plane to sacramentalize the whole of uh, physical life. So, <clears throat> and uh, because of this goal, even though he was extremely solid, he wrote libraries full of books. He wrote a... Um, uh, a long narrative poem called Savitri, uh, which is in the style of something like John Milton. Uh, and he wrote a book on uh, the synthesis of yoga, which is a very long and very complex book that only uh, a brave scholar can read. I spent a lot of time in India reading him. I even asked Baba whether it was all right to read Aurobindo. And Baba said, you can read him in your spare time, but don't think the ideas have much more importance than clouds in the sky. They come and then they go. So I stopped reading him for a month, then I got read him again. <laughs> but the thing about the, one of the things that I really admire, not so much his grandiose uh, philosophy, but he also was a, a really great yogi, and he was a very good guru, and he, he engaged with his disciples and 
taught them how to take each step. Um, and his, his, uh, he, even though I said he was solid, his peculiarity showed up in that he became a recluse. In the 20s, he just disappeared, and he stayed in his room basically for the last 30 years of his life, while uh, Mother Mira raced around and ran the ashram, did everything, and he stayed in his room bringing down the supermind. Uh, and um, the devotees... <laughs> they might think that would be cool if I did that. Huh? And... Um, he never, he never saw them, but they wrote him letters. They wrote him letters, and he answered letters. All the, most of the day was he was writing, you know, letters back to his disciples about their sadhana. So they never got to see him except a few times a year. He would give darshan, and they would see him. Uh, but they wrote because of that. It's good for us. Not so good maybe for his disciples. Uh, but really good for us because there are volumes of his letters to disciples in which he minutely examines the process of sadhana. And so I'm going to show you some of the, that tonight. Tonight's on a theme, uh, and the theme is uh, Patanjali's theme. Patanjali, the great yogi, who famously said that the yoga or meditation is to still the thought waves of the mind. Yoga is chitta vritti nirodaha, to still or to even destroy the thought waves of the mind. This is a, a, an amazing statement that is, uh, everybody who meditates thinks about. To quiet the thought waves of the mind, to still the mind uh, so that you can go deeper. And uh, he describes and talks about it in a very profound way. Every yogi thinks about this phrase and tries to relate to it and see if they can do it or what it means and so on. So this is Aurobindo. These are his selections from his letters to devotees. And we can figure out from what he's saying what the devotee must have said. So the first letter um, he writes, the first step is the quiet mind. <clears throat> By a quiet mind, I mean a mind in which thoughts arrive and move about, but he does not identify with the thoughts or call them his own. So he's talking about stages of meditation. So he says the first step is the mind becomes quiet. And in, so what, what's happening in this step? In this step, there are thoughts, right? And they're rattling around, but the meditator doesn't identify with them. What does it mean to identify with a thought? Become it. You, you become it, you, you, you take it too seriously. Baba would say, say it a different way. Baba would say, don't pay much attention to those thoughts. I think might even be better than identify. Because when, when you take, a thought comes in, a thought has the potential to get you involved in its drama. So maybe it's a dramatic thought, like I'm a loser. That's called a te uh, dramatic tearing thought. And uh, it's saying, come follow me down the primrose path to self-hatred. <laughs> and so Bob would say, don't pay. It, it doesn't matter that that thought came in. Everybody has all kinds of thoughts. 
It's that you run off with it. You pay attention to it and you listen to it and you, you give it too much life and then it makes you miserable. And so he says, you, you're, you're there and you're sitting quietly and they come and go. <clears throat> um, he doesn't get involved in them. He says, thoughts, mental movements may pass through through the mind as wayfarers appear and pass from elsewhere through a silent country. <clears throat> the quiet mind observes them, or may not even care to observe them, but in either case does not become active or lose its quietude. So when you, it's like witnessing the thoughts. You can look at them, there they are, silly thoughts coming in, uh, or you decide not to pay any attention to them. It's just, the main point is you don't connect with them and run with them, give them strength. You don't identify with them. You don't uh, run off with them. <clears throat> then, so that's step one. Then he says, silence is more than quietude. <clears throat> it can be gained by banishing thought altogether from the inner mind, keeping it voiceless or keeping thoughts outside the center. So now he's talking about being in a thought-free state completely. And he's saying there's a couple of ways to do it. You uh, banish them from the inner mind. You banish these thoughts. Uh, you keep it voiceless. You don't let your mind speak. Your mind keeps speaking to you. Yak, 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 yak. But now you just don't let it speak. You just make it voiceless. Uh, <clears throat> or... Um, keeping thoughts outside the center. This is one of the methods that he used. Orbindo used to think that thoughts come from outside. They come from the ether, like radio waves. You know, radio waves don't come from inside you. They come from outside, don't they? And if you have a, a radio that tunes to a certain station, you get, you get the, the station. You get the, the content of the station. So he thought of thoughts like that. They come from outside, and if, you tune, if your mind is tuned to a frequency, then you'll get the, that programming. So if your mind is tuned to self-hatred, uh, you'll get the program, I hate myself. And if your mind is full of uh, uh, inflation, you'll get the mind, I'm fabulous, coming in. You'll get that programming. <clears throat> so he's saying, um, he's saying, don't let those thoughts come in. Keep them out. He used to construct a wall around the inner core of his mind and keep all thoughts outside. Let's try it. You want to try that? I think we really have to do some dharanas. We have to do some short practices. Okay, so go inside. Sit at the center of your mind and construct a wall. You know, it can be um, a tea tree wall or... A cement wall, bricks. It can be a wooden wall with little peepholes. Don't get caught up in what kind of wall it is. <laughs> Construct a wall and keep the thoughts outside. Just have that feeling that you're keeping the thoughts outside. Can't come in here.
Okay. Now, some of you, I think, probably had good success with that. Some of you may have hated it. How many of you had some success with that and enjoyed that? Well, then keep working with it. The secret of meditation is not to do what you can't do, but to do what you can do. Life is hard. <laughs> Life is really hard. You have to do what works for you. Don't make it harder. You don't have to do every technique in Vijnana Bharava. Just if one technique works, use that. So how many of you hated that meditation? Anybody? Good, a couple of people hated it. Good, don't do it! Okay. <clears throat> he says, uh, he says, so that's one way, but he says, but it's more easily established by a descent from above. A descent from above. One feels it coming down, entering and occupying, surrounding the personal consciousness, which then tends to merge itself in the vast impersonal silence. So what do we call that? That's the descent of grace, the descent of higher consciousness. I'm curious because he talks about, he always talks about movement up and a movement down. And most of you have an experience of higher consciousness in terms of shakti. When I say you experience the shakti, it's a meaningful statement to most of you, isn't it? Does that, does that experience of shakti, does it come down from above to you? Or does it come up from below? Or even come in sideways, I don't know. <laughs> Is that any meaningful question? When you have an experience of higher... What? Who's that? What? Sometimes from above and sometimes from below. You've got it both ways. Very clever. Nobody, uh, okay. David Ma, does it come down from above or up from below? Sometimes? Okay. All right. <clears throat> okay, so that's one of them, one of his letters. What did the guy ask him? Uh, what are the steps of meditation, I guess, something like that. Okay, next one. I'm not going to get through these, I can see. But I love this stuff. <clears throat> this one, uh, another letter to another person uh, in which he talks about three stages of mind control. You ready? He says, if you suppress the chitta vrittis, that's what Patanjali was saying, suppress, you know, the chitta vrittis, these are the, the thought forms Chitta is mind, and the vrittis are the thought waves, the vrittis. You know, like the waves on an ocean, the vrittis. You have vrittis. So, you know, the yogi says, I can't stand having all these vrittis. So he wants to suppress them. He says, if you suppress the chitta vrittis, you will have no movements of the chitta at all, of your awareness at all. It will be immobile until you remove the suppression. So the guy's obviously asking about doing literally what, what uh, <laughs> Patanjali says. So, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 
Fatima. Uh, and he says, he says, if you repress them, they'll be so immobile until you remove the suppression. Or it might even be that the mind has become so immobile that there cannot be anything other than immobility. Now that's a real yogi. If you have so disciplined your mind not to move that it can't even move anymore. The only one I can think of is Bhagwan Nityananda. But I think even he had some vrittis. Vritti here and there. But okay, let's do this. I want you to suppress your vrittis. David Ma, suppress your vrittis. No way! <laughs> 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 well, I'm going to give, take, take like this, put your hand up now, and repress those vrittis so they can't move. Keep them still. Exert your will to the max and stop your mind completely. Go ahead. Okay, that's enough. I don't want to kill you. This could be fatal, and so don't try this at home unless someone else is there. A medic. How was that, Davy Ma? I like my thoughts. <laughs> okay. If you have good thoughts, that's good. <clears throat> Anybody able to suppress their vrittis, at least for a moment? Yeah. You know, a good yoga, good meditator is able to do that, at least for a brief period. <clears throat> I can see that if somebody's mind is really disturbed, it's probably a good effort to make. <clears throat> Dave Ma says if someone's mind's disturbed, it seems like a good effort to make. It is, it's a good exercise to, to use make. Force yeah. On thoughts that are yeah. 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 I mean, force in the sense of a steady flow of intention, will, where you just. You know the picture of Bhagwan Nityananda like this? He's either saying, throw the basketball to me, <laughs> or keep your mind still. Like that. He goes, he continues, if you still them, the chitta was, will be quiet. Whatever movements there will not disturb the quietude. Now this is the, so this is the next phase, actually. First, he's talking about suppressing, and this is now stilling the mind, not suppressing it, but stilling the mind. He says, the mind will be quiet, but whatever movements do come, there could be thought forms, but they won't disturb your peace, which is, seems fine, that seems great. The thoughts can go play in it, but they don't disturb you. <clears throat> but now the third phase, which is the best of all, you ready? But if you control or master the mind, then the chitta will be immobile when you want, active when you want, and its action will be such that what you wish to get rid of will go, and what you accept as true and useful will come. And that is, that's very beautiful, very profound. So the healthiest mind is the one where you're in charge, and, and when 
bad stuff comes in, you say, get out of here. Tearing thoughts come in, self-hatred. You say, sorry, I'm not entertaining you today. Go down the street. Go over there. I'm not going to take you. And then another thought comes in, like ahambramasmi. It floats in. Ahambramasmi, I am Shiva. Ah, nice thought. I'll keep that one. I'm a worm. That comes in. No, sorry. Go over there. Go over there. So that's what he says. The three stages, suppression, and then uh, quiet, and then mastery. <clears throat> okay, another one. <clears throat> this is the difference between uh, uh, a yogi's mind and a philosopher's mind. Guy must have asked him, "What's uh, do uh, great philosophers have control of the mind like yogis?" And he says, "Obindo says the silent mind is a result of yoga. The ordinary mind is never silent. Thinkers and philosophers." do not have a silent mind. They have active minds. However, they can concentrate. So the common incoherent mentalizing stops, and the thoughts that rise or enter and shape themselves are coherently restricted to the subject or activity at hand. So that's the difference. Most of us have, what does he say? Incoherent mentalizing. Incoherent mentalizing. But a great philosopher, Immanuel Kant, right? Hegel. <clears throat> a great philosopher. They don't, their mind's not going, dang, 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 dang. What do I have? Dang, dang, dang. I'll go send out uh, for takeaway. Yeah. They think he did cut something out. What? 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 <laughs> he cut the wrong thing. Oh, they cut the. <laughs> yeah, they took out. They took out my frontal lobe. So this is what this is what you get now. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, but no, Immanuel Kant was always thinking. What is the absolute? What is the nature of the absolute? What is the, what was his thing, the categorical imperative? What is the categorical imperative? And Hegel was always saying, what is the Hegelian dialectic? I think my dialectic should be named after me. He was always thinking like that. So in other words, their mind is focused. It's not given to but it's still not yogic, it's not turned within. He says, but that's quite different matter from the whole mind falling silent. So that's the difference between them. <clears throat> let's see, I've got a bunch of them, but I'm going to, uh, let's see. I'll do one more, because I see you're all become the minds are all still now, right? Huh? Uh, <laughs> well, here's one. I, all right, let's look at this one. <clears throat> this is another overview of what happens. Another seeker talks about the process of sadhana. I find very few things in life 
in fact, nothing more interesting than the process of sadhana. The, the movement of going from a miserable, suffering human being filled with all kinds of negative thoughts to a Buddha. That movement. All the Buddhas, all the great beings have moved from a mind like ours, all distracted and crazy, to a mind that's focused and, and focused on the divine and full of bliss. They've moved from suffering to a state of peace and bliss. They've all made this move. And that process can only be done consciously. You have to want to do it, you have to work at it, and you'll receive grace and you'll receive help, but you have to want to make this thing. And everyone arrives at a point in their life, every single one, at a point where they say, that's the only thing that makes sense. The rest of it is crap. The rest of it is window dressing. The only thing of real lasting merit is to try to know the self. Now, it may not come in this life. It may come after a few more lives. You might say, I want to play video games for a few lives. I want to do this for a few lives. I want to go do that for a few lives. And God looks and says, it's all right, kid. Got plenty of time. We've got infinite time. Go do your thing. But eventually you're going to get around to, I want to know my true nature. I want to know the self. I want to grow inwardly. And I want to undergo sadhana, spiritual practice, and start to know myself. So I love that Aurobindo was, was very uh, adult in that way, very involved in that process. And he minutely understood it. So here's the uh, last one I'll do today. <clears throat> he says, to quiet the mind, do you like this, all this yoga? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I was thinking about Patanjali today, and a little, a little tweak of affection crept in. <laughs> I usually think of Patanjali as like this very severe dude. I wouldn't want to take him to a, a, a party. You know, like, he would just say, control your mind. <laughs> but I have a little affection for the guy. He's a really great yogi. So I was thinking, maybe I'll do a, a retreat on him. Anyway, don't all shout out at once. <laughs> I did one in 1998. 1998, I did my, my last Patanjali retreat. I think you did one in 2006. 2006, I did one, too. How did you know that? That was my very first retreat. Huh? That was my very first retreat. It was. I just saw it today. It was 2006. I, wow. <clears throat> oh, so it's old hat to you. You don't want to do it. Then. <laughs> okay. He says, Orbinda says, to quiet the mind in such a way that no thoughts will come is not easy and usually takes time. The most necessary thing is to feel a quietude in the mind so that if thoughts come, they do not disturb or hold the mind or make it follow them, but simply cross and pass away. So this is repetitive, but still, you know, just like you can say Om Namah Shivaya a hundred million times and you haven't really got the meaning of it yet. <laughs> so it's good to hear these things over and over again. 
for instance, we hear all kinds of crap over and over again. So it's important to hear the, the truth. So he's saying, um, so let's do this little dharma. Look into your mind, and your mind might be very active and going everywhere, but over in a corner there, on the ground floor in the back, there's a little bit of quiet. So find the quiet that's in the mind. Doesn't matter if the mind's producing lots of thoughts and agitation, but look for a little bit of quietude in there. See if you can find some amidst the clutter. Okay. You let the clutter clatter and you find the quietude. Did you do it? You find that it's possible, isn't it? Sometimes you have to really intelligently trick your mind and find that sweet spot. He goes, the mind first becomes the witness of the passage of thought and not the thinker. Afterwards, it is able to not watch the thoughts but let them pass unnoticed. So it's incremental. Each step, you, you detach from the thoughts. You don't give them strength and weight. I always think of Bob as saying, don't pay much attention. He said that over and over again. Uh, said, Bob, I have so many angry thoughts. Don't pay much attention to them. Bob, I have thoughts of self-hatred. Don't pay much attention to them. Don't pay. Do you watch every program that you turn on the TV? Some horrible program? You know? The uh, Housewives of Mount Eliza? Yeah? I know some of you watch it, huh? But nobody forces you to. If you discover that you just, after you watch the, the real Housewives of Mount Eliza, you feel really dirty. You feel bad about yourself. You say, what am I living for? What is the meaning of this life? Then next time you might turn it off. After a while. So. So. Where did I get to? Yeah. There are two main things to be secured as the foundation of sadhana. Two main things. He says, the opening of the psychic being and the realization of the self above. For the, now, what does that mean in our terms? Because, you know, in our yoga, those things are there too. We just call them something different. He says, for the opening of the psychic being, concentration on the mother and self-offering to her are the direct way. So the opening of the psychic being must be what we call Shaktipat. And what is Shaktipat but becoming introduced to this dimension of life we call the Shakti, the spiritual energy, he calls the mother, because it is an embodiment of the Divine Mother. So it's saying the opening of the, uh, the psychic being to be aware of the Shakti, to become aware of the Shakti in your life, to notice when there's more Shakti and when there's less Shakti. 
and to notice what you can do to increase Shakti and what you, do, what you do to decrease Shakti and to pay attention to that. The only reason we don't pay attention to it is because we're caught up in other things. Because we want something so much that we don't pay attention to it. Or we're scared of something so much that we don't pay attention to it. He goes, the growth of devotion which you feel is the first sign of real spiritual development. A sense of the mother's presence or force or the remembrance of her supporting and strengthening you is the next sign. So he's talking about an awareness of the shakti, of the spiritual energy, of this subtle dimension of life which, which, which we feel when we come to the ashram, when we go to Ganeshpur or when we meditate, this subtle dimension. <clears throat> Eventually the soul within begins to be active in aspiration and psychic perception, guiding the mind to the right thoughts, the vital to the right movements and feelings, <clears throat> showing and rejecting all that has to be put away and turning the whole being in all its movements to the divine alone. So as you develop in meditation, you develop this ability to do healthy, make healthy choices. You move towards uh, the mind towards right thoughts, noble thoughts, beautiful thoughts, peaceful thoughts, loving thoughts, holistic thoughts, um, <clears throat> and the vital towards righteous movements and feelings. It means you're moving towards good feeling, the clear space of good feeling, and you're not lost in desire for different kinds of experiences that will just uh, eventually rip you off. But you're moving in the right direction. <clears throat> and eventually, your whole being is moving towards higher consciousness. And sometimes you're, you're moving in the other way, but you soon become aware of it, and you say, that's not good for me. I want to go this way. I don't like having those kinds of thoughts and feelings, so I've got to move away from that. And you're processing yourself and so on. He goes on, <clears throat> well, we call that, that movement following the upward shift in the ashram. That's what that means. It's also called bhavana rako, keeping the feeling. It's also being, cultivating the clear space of good feeling. Constantly navigating towards that clear space. What is a great being? What is Bhagwan Nityananda? What is Baba Muktananda? What is Ramana Maharshi? Is someone who lives in that space of peace, of love, of joy. How did he get there? He did it through inner discipline. He did it through controlling his mind, not letting his mind do, make movements that brought him down. We have the same capacity. We also have the grace of the guru, the grace of the shakti, to help us on that path. So <clears throat> this is the choice that we make. He goes on. For self-realization, peace and silence of the mind are the first condition. So the first thing is the mind has to be, learn how to calm the mind. Afterwards, one begins to feel release, freedom, wideness, to live in a consciousness, silent, tranquil, untouched by any or all things, existing everywhere and in all, 
one with, united with the divine. So don't pay much attention to his organ tone, but he's saying that you basically remain centered in the clear space of good feeling. You basically, you're, you're, the rule is that you stay in a space, space of love and of peace and calm. That's the rule rather than the exception. Usually it's an exception. We only pass through that space by accident once in a while. But later you live there and then you might lose it and you go back to it. So he says, other experiences come in the way or may come, such as the opening of the... Oh, he's saying, you might also have inner experiences, kriyas, you know, higher yogic experiences, like the opening of the inner vision, the sense of the force working within, that intense shakti experiences, <clears throat> various experiences and phenomena of the inner energy, lights, visions, all kinds of stuff that can happen. One may also be conscious of an ascent of energy from below and a descent of force, peace, bliss, or light from above. So he's giving a, a summary here of the whole process of sadhana. You begin with a scattered mind. You gradually learn to stay in the clear space of good feeling. And then different experiences might happen. Experiences come from below, come from above. Uh, but you're mainly uh, you're staying in that space. So this is uh, Aurobindo on the process of sadhana. And uh, everyone in this room has at least done some sadhana, some work on themselves, some meditation. Uh, so uh, it's, uh, it's wonderful for uh, such an authoritative voice, isn't it, to hear the way he uh, describes it. So should we meditate? Uh, how, how should we meditate? There's so many different methods that we... Suppress everything. What? <laughs> <laughs> we better get, we better ha finish this now because I'm going to hear it later. <laughs> you telling... Were you telling them all to suppress all their thoughts? <clears throat> All right, so we won't do the suppression meditation. <laughs> okay? <clears throat> but we will look, we'll do the clear space of good feeling meditation. And so look inside your mind and understand that the, the, the clear space of good feeling is right there at the center of your inner awareness. And that is what's called the self in the scriptures. It's peaceful, it's loving, it's calm, it's content. So within you there is contentment. Even if you feel discontented, somewhere in there there's contentment. And even if you feel angry and agitated, somewhere in you there's love and peace. And so navigate towards that. For 10 minutes in meditation, navigate. And what the great yogis all agree that your true nature is that place of peace and joy within. 
because of bad habits of mind, because of bad training, because of bad, by indulging our bad mental movements and emotional movements, we lose touch with it. We become very neurotic, we become angry, we become paranoid, we become depressed. But these are diseased conditions that we've done to ourselves and we can overcome because our real nature is that place of peace within. And so in this meditation, orient towards that place of peace, towards that place of joy within. It exists within every person. No matter how tortured we are by our minds, that exists within. So we'll meditate now for 10 minutes. Once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Dr. Anath Maharaj Kijay. Let's meditate. 